Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, another episode of Yolitics. I'm Jason Whiteley here with Jason Wheeler. And Jason, we are entering the two biggest weeks of politics this year. In the last four years, actually. Well, I think we're entering the third and second biggest weeks. The biggest one is going to be uh, <laughs> November, th- the week of November 3rd. But you know what? This one, it really is right up there with them, Jason, because these, these are the weeks that we see these two huge conventions that are, are going to be totally different than they've been before because they're all online. Uh, but this is a chance for both candidates, uh, both tickets to Tell voters who they are. I mean, I think people already have a pretty good idea. They've seen a lot of Donald Trump and Mike Pence. They've seen a lot of Joe Biden and of Kamala Harris. Uh, But it's their chance to put as much shine on themselves as possible and throw as much mud as they can at the other guy. And we were supposed to be in Milwaukee right now recording this podcast for you. But instead, we are in Dallas at our homes watching each other on Zoom. Uh, because we couldn't be there. In fact, you know, hardly anybody is in Milwaukee for the Democratic National Convention underway this week. Republicans are doing their convention virtually next week. But we are starting this podcast episode with a delegate, a first-time delegate, who is going to the Democratic National Convention virtually. Her name is Dr. Carla Braley. She is the vice chair for the Texas Democratic Party. And as I mentioned, she's a delegate at the Democratic National Convention this week. Primaries now, you know, uh, determine the nominee. Are, are conventions still relevant, Dr. Braley? I, well, you know what? It's so much that happens at conventions. So I'm going to say yes, because number one, you don't always go in to the convention with that, uh, you know, the presidential candidate. So that's going to be one. So business still has to go on as usual. You're hoping that you are in a very good place before you get to the con- before you get to the convention, because when we are able to do that, then we're able to really unite and the energy that you, I mean, that you experience at the convention, the interaction, it's just not replaceable. Um, I think that business is still gonna go on as usual, but the camaraderie there, I mean, just imagine being at, you know, five football games that you all like and it's your favorite games all at one time it's it's just like that i mean people are saving seats and you're trying to get next to your buddy who you may have not seen in years it's yeah so i think the convention is necessary just for people if anything else for like minds to join in in that same space but yet this year it's going to happen just like this uh, This discussion's happening right now where we're looking at each other through computer screens. Not quite the same, is it? No, but you know what? This is our first time meeting and I feel like I kind of know you all. So, you know, you, you, you grow. I mean, I'm a sociologist too by training. And so our interaction a lot of times is determined by our context. And, and, and you know, it may not be 100%, but you still get something. You get something. 
Hey, since you're a delegate, tell us how roll call is going to happen at the convention. Roll call for people who haven't been to convention. That's where each state takes the microphone and announces who it's committing its delegates to. That's the, that's a huge, you know, that's a huge moment in every convention. That's when the nom, you know, nomination actually happens. How does that you happen? Your signs up. Yeah, uh, everyone the has their signs. That you're rooting for are the right. are the um, uh, yeah. the signage. Uh, you know, I remember with Hillary Clinton. I was uh, this is my first time being a delegate too. I went as a guest the last convention, but it's the signage that you're able. You're looking for the perfect one that you want to be able to hold up when they're calling your name, and then mm-hmm. you you want to sit by others that may have a. A signage that you want, but it's saying something different, um, and you're just waiting for your, you know, waiting for your state. Now, the wonderful thing, um, as a delegate, you're able to actually be on the floor, oftentimes, um, right. and you, you can't exactly do that when you're when you're a guest. So it just allows, you know, people are just waiting. But but how how's that going to happen this year, though? I mean, you, you can't oh, get you, you know can't what? get all the delegates behind you there at your house in Houston, can you? <laughs> No, and you know what? I believe in being honest. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen. <laughs> so, wow. Actually, I started living in the moment, you all, and forgot You know what you were asking me about this year, 2020. I'm not quite sure. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. so there's so and and that's kind of i i don't know maybe as a viewer that's kind of refreshing to know that maybe there's going to be some spontaneity something that's not totally planned out you know because these conventions have been so hemmed up for so many years and scripted all the way through we we don't know what we're going to see here yeah um and you know we have uh tech support that in a way you know you've always had tech support but they're doing it even a little different now uh, I'm also co-chair of the Interfaith Council, so we meet today for our first time, uh, actually at uh, 1.30, and we meet again on Wednesday, and even that, how it's scripted, but you always have to plan for the fluidity of, of the meetings, um, just because you have the surrogates coming, the elected officials, so uh, it's going to be somewhat awkward, you know, to be on the screen, uh, waiting and, 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 and making sure that you're you know, on the lookout for who's going to drop in at, at any point. And so even as a co-chair, I don't know exactly who all will, will drop in. We have some idea, but we don't know for sure. Well, Dr. Braley, faith is important to you. I've been reading about you and your in your background. I'm curious, as a Democrat, though, why do you think so many faithful people or evangelicals, especially as a, you know, a breakout, why do you think they prefer Republicans as opposed to Democrats? Well, you know, I think one of one thing, um, the wonderful thing about the Democratic Party is I think that we recognize difference in so many different ways. And so I don't think that we have honed on to that message of faith in a way that looks, you know, that connects directly with social justice work. So we talk about that. But I think that, you know, and you're going to see that probably even more so in this election that we will do more um, controlling of that message and controlling being that, you know, recognizing that we are a people of faith. Um, we are a people that really puts the quality of life uh, in, in front of whatever we do. And I think that we we have been kind of re- rearranging, rethinking our messaging to the point that I think faith has not necessarily been the the first point and a lot of that is you know when you're dealing with difference and diversity is it, you know, is, it you, is it even the fifth point though i mean re- republicans put it way up here and they really seem to campaign on that and I, 
I don't know where it is for Democrats, honestly. Well, you know, um, it, 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 it's, it's faith in the work. So the thing about it is, it's connecting that language. Because when you talk about social justice work, you're talking about mercy, right? You're talking about just. And so I think it's the language in that. And I think that we can definitely, definitely work on how, how we get that message out. But really, we're saying lots of uh, uh, programs, lots of initiatives, lots of messaging around faith. I think we're not not I think we're not doing it in the same way and and they have been able to to run on that for for years remember this is they didn't just start using this faith mm-hmm. message um mm-hmm. and and it takes a lot when you're when you are looking at diversity I mean even today um you know planning for this interfaith council meeting I mean you have to be very intentional like uh, your mind has to be made up that you want to be inclusive so it takes a lot to be inclusive so while the Republican Party may kind of stand on that to a certain degree, it's still very conservative. It's still one-dimensional, and you know it, when you when you start bringing in various faiths um, and various people, then you know that impacts your ability to kind of have that one-line message that oftentimes we see in politics. So I think that's something that that we can say about that part. Dr. Braley, let's stay with that theme for just one moment here. Uh, we are in the stretch run now. Uh, November is going to be here really fast, and uh, we see the polls tightening now. Uh, Biden had quite a lead, uh, you know, over the past month or so. What are your prayers uh, right now? What are, What are you saying in those prayers, politically speaking? Oh, my prayer is that the prayer of people have been answered. I think that we are in one of our most darkest moments in our history. And I think that you will see people who, who have really been even middle class um, citizens who are being pushed in a place that economically they're not secure. I think we have people that have having a first time uh, opportunities to attend college, but are going to you know leave with a high amount of student debt that, you know, my prayer is that people really can experience this democracy, that we can continue to push for this democracy in a way that our forefathers saw it. I mean, you know, they didn't get everything right. We know that. But I think that we know enough, you know, we're creative um, enough now that we can we can push for more and we can push that that all people some some kind of way can experience the American dream. What we're seeing right now is just I mean, there are no words to think that in the United States that we are experiencing, whether it's from COVID-19 that I'm saying it may be COVID-20, it may be COVID-21. That's a very long time. And I'll give you, you know, for me and my prayer, my daughter was so excited. She's 11 years old. And of course, you know, I'm very active politically, socially. Um, and so she is too, by happenstance. And she was so excited that I finally allowed her to see her friend, her best friend, who she had not, you know, seen since February. And you could about, just see it and feel it. Yeah, sorry about that. No, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I interrupted you there, Dr. Braley. I want to ask about the latest poll that's out uh, just today as we're recording this podcast. It's the Texas Hispanic Policy Foundation, and the poll showed that uh, Trump is ahead by five points. That's outside the margin of error, and it's the first poll we've seen in a while that shows this you know, may not be a close race, clearly, but may not be a neck and neck race uh, like all the other recent polls have shown. Does that surprise you at all? Yes, it does. And I don't like to be surprised with polls when I'm mm. on, a, on an interview. So I'm going to have to ask about that because I have to I'll send it over to you when we get off this yes, call. Um, 
Yeah, that's that surprises me. Um, but I tell you, this is the largest Texas Democratic Party staff we've ever had. We have the resources, which include the, the people, the staffing and funds. We're running coordinating campaigns in a way that we have not done so in the past. So I, I think, you know, I, I think we're looking good in Texas. Well, but, but you still have to get the, the party still has to get at least a million more people to the polls than they got out in 2016. Where, where yes. do those people come from, though? Even if you get everyone out that you guys had before, you still need another massive chunk. Where do those come from you're, you're the vice chair of the party you've seen yeah. the, you've seen the plans well, I, so so one i think um you know we are run, working on an initiative right now with even beto's organization with the texas coalition of black dems to increase uh black vote um i think they are really trying um to aim to reach out to you know a, a million i believe um and i can stand corrected on that but i think that may be the, the target goal you have sisters united who are working with other organizations to identify uh, particular women who are registered but have not voted, and so it's a way that you can target, you know, them. I don't want to let you know let all the things out, but we go ahead, we go ahead. We, we like to have all the things out here in politics. <laughs> yeah, Dr. this is a safe space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you think? But um, so we, you know, we can't. This is complex. We can't win this in a way that we won election. Well, that we haven't won in years. So, so let me put, put it that way. But, you know, grassroots, you can't discount the work that a lot of these organizations have already done. Yes, the party is doing some great things. But I will say that the party is better now at this place because it is reaching people where they have not reached before. So, I mean, we know what, what Beto, you know, um, did. And we can definitely give him... Uh, credit for being courageous and having the insight, you know, to really target all the counties in a way that they have not been in the past. We have, a, you know, the digital mm-hmm. capacity that we have now. So there are some things that we have up our sleeve that I think we're going to see that it's going to be very helpful for Texas. So just to dr- just to drill down on that a little bit. So you are confident that you all have already been reaching people you didn't reach the last time around. Oh, absolutely. I know I'm doing that even as vice chair. We saw the uh, kind of the disaster in 2018 with the the polling there uh, with I mean, people were in line for six, seven, eight hours uh, voting in the midterms. Uh, At least I think that I have those numbers right. I remember it was an all night affair for a lot of people. What are your thoughts going into this election? Uh, there's been a lot of worry about, you know, will everybody be able to get that ballot in? And how much of that message needs to be part of the messaging this week for the Democrats? Well, uh, so, you know, that was about five questions in one. So let me see. Yeah, it was. So, I'm, I'm, so I'm known for that. Right. Jason so, talks a lot here. You know, <laughs> hey, I, I'm, just, I'm just happy to spend this time with you all. Uh, so, you know, uh, let's let's be truthful. I, I should say even truthful. Let's just kind of think through that. That was the first time that Harris County had opened the number of polls that it's done in years um, for an extended amount of time. So, of course, you still growing and grooming staff. I think you will, you know, even in this last election, while it was a much, much smaller election, you're going to see that people are, are trained more. Uh, you're going to see that um, conversations have, have taken staff. Uh, Tanisha Huspit is, is there, just uh, actually won the uh, Democratic uh, uh, election to be on the, uh, on the ticket in November. Chris Hollins is there. 
uh, now serving as the interim clerk. So, um, you know, the amount of planning that's moving forward, the uh, getting uh, people to feel comfortable going to the polls, uh, Harris County Democratic Party is having a number of meetings uh, with their uh, precinct chairs. I am about to stomp and zoom across the state uh, partying with precinct chairs um, and just to kind of get them ready. So I think what you saw there was more staffing and just, you know, early stages of changing what how we've done elections in Harris County. Well, on the good end of it, too, it was a dedication to voting, oh, first of all, that you had that many people out. And secondly, that they were willing to wait in absolutely. those lines. And people are becoming even more aware that vote uh, of voter suppression. I mean, you know, it's no secret what's in the news now in terms of with uh, the, the Postal Service. And it's really sad because, number one, we should not suppress people's vote, but also their workers, the amount of stress that that's placing on even the workers of UPS. I mean, it's just a lot goes into that. But I, I, I definitely think that people have a have a made up mind. Oftentimes people ask, well, why should I vote? It doesn't impact me. But I don't think too many people have to ask that question during this season. How, how uh, does the president, how do some of the local uh, races, how does that impact us? I think we, we're seeing it every day um, and, and not such a good way too. So I, I think mm. that we've, We've touched people at, at their hearts. Do you, do you think we'll see lines, Dr. Braley, come November? Uh, I, I, I'm hoping um, because the reality is everybody's not going to vote early, but we would like for that to happen. We know that we're going to have issues around mail, and I think it's even pushing people just to drop, you know, have the ability for people to drop off their ballots. So, um, I mean, lines means that we could you know, we can give people encouragement to, to stay in those lines. And I'm ready to work. You all, I, I don't sleep a lot. I don't sleep a lot anyway. But these days, I'm, I, I'm, I told my daughter's future is on the line with this. So I'm doing whatever we can do to make sure that we have a change in this nation. And, and you personal. know, when Texas has a change, the nation has a change. You know that. You think he can take Texas? I, I, I mean, I think so. realistic chance I, of taking I, Texas. I think, I think we can do it. I you know, and as vice chair, I have to I have to think that anyway. But I yeah, really you're do, supposed to. Yeah, I, I really I really do think that if we coordinate and, and be very inclusive and we include grassroots people who've been doing this work all along and making sure that we are diverse in all of our efforts, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. All right. Dr. Carla uh, Braley, we're going to. Check in and, you know, ask you that again as we get closer to the election. Okay, I welcome you. You, You're my friends now. So that's Dr. Carla Braley uh, speaking to us there as a delegate uh, to this convention. Jason, I love that she says that she doesn't really know how it's going to play out. Uh, and I, I, I think none of us really do. And and it'll be interesting to see as this week goes and then again as next week goes. Uh, maybe it'll throw a little spice into these conventions. You know, you've been asking people if, you know, if conventions really mean as much as they used to. Uh, I think that most people who watch these things, you know, it just seems so scripted and, you know, kind of the same as before. This one will definitely not be that. So we'll see. No. You know, maybe it'll make them more worthwhile. Not at all. The New York Times had, had a pretty interesting little article, but the headlines what caught my attention. It said that the MVPs of both conventions will be the digital teams and the IT staff. Yes. No doubt about that. You know, there's no big floor at a a big convention center or at a big stadium like there normally is. Everyone is crammed into Zoom rooms watching 
uh, you know, all of this unfold digitally online from their own living room or office or wherever they might be. Mm -hmm. But one of the uh, other attendees who is watching online is going to be the uh, mayor of Austin. And his name is Steve Adler. We've talked to him before, but Steve is already out and about talking up what's going on with the DNC this week. And it's a big week. But there are other things going on in Austin that we want to know about as well, too, Jason. Yeah, so we might as well get it all in in, in one <laughs> shot here because we've got him for a couple of minutes uh, on the line with us here. And, uh, you know, my first curiosity here is everybody who's attending this thing virtually and, you know, actually part of the process, they're excited about this. But does that translate over? How, though, do you get the electorate out there excited uh, when you're doing all of this via Zoom? You don't have cheering crowds. You don't have people getting fired up and, and sort of having that become infectious across the country as people watch. How do you get people energized right now on Zoom? Or do you think people are already energized enough? I think people are already energized. You know, we've been looking at uh, election results here uh, that have been going up in terms of participation every election since 2016. We just had a runoff election uh, here in in town. You know, we had someone, you know, the statewide uh, Senate race. Uh, Those runoff elections never have much of a number of people participating. We had three times uh, the, the number we had originally anticipated. Uh, the, the, the young folks that are voting, 40% of the people that voted in this last election were under 40. That's unheard of. Uh, so I think that evidence is a significant amount of excitement that just is inherent in this election. Uh, and then when, uh, when uh, Vice President uh, Biden picked um, uh, uh, Kamala Harris, I think that also added additional excitement. Uh, so uh, I think this will be a great launch for November. Mayor, let's talk about the conventions and the relevance. This comes up every four years. Uh, But I think now the parties, both of them, might have a chance to kind of rethink this, the expense that goes into it. We're not having it this year. And and the primaries really do the nominating process. Is it time to rethink conventions, the need for them at all? I think there's going to be a lot we learn in this virus uh, that's going to lead us to, to different places going forward. I think there are a lot more people that are able to that are working at home. We're all getting better at participating in, in Zoom meetings. Uh, I think that, that there's a lot that's going to change. I don't think we go back to life exactly the way that it was before, just like 9-11, you know, and, and airports uh, uh, change. But there is uh, something that is exciting about having a convention, having uh, some of the, the up uh, and coming stars in the, in the Democratic Party have the chance to be able to, to speak to the country. So it provides a, a platform and an opportunity. It focuses people's attention that aren't paying attention to the November election. You know, conventions is for many people the first time that they'll sit down and actually hear people speak. Uh, so I think there's always going to be a place, but it wouldn't surprise me if conventions are different going forward, too. In what, in what way do you think? You know, I think that there'll be things that happen more remotely. I don't think you'll have to be physically present in order to be able to 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 participate. Uh, and I think that there'll be a lot more people watching remotely than in the than in the past. Uh, you know, my kids don't don't really watch you know a lot of TV. You know, they're online. They're they're listening to the to the podcasts. Uh, and I think that uh, this this trend uh, is something that that the institutions 
like the party conventions are going to have to, to get a hold of. Well, we think that your kids might be onto something with uh, listening to those podcasts. Be sure to tell them about us. Tell them where Dad's appearing next here. Uh, I want to ask you this: How you know, as you talk to other Democrats, uh, is there a nervousness right now? I know that you you know you're talking about how there's this excitement uh, in the past you know month month and a half here. We've been seeing a lot of polls uh, showing Joe Biden in a really good position nationwide and in a lot of battleground states. Uh, you know, leading by a, a, a wide margin in some cases. Uh, And then we saw this new CNN poll that just came out that shows that race tightening now. A lot of people anticipated that it would as we head closer to the election. How much nervousness is there uh, right now in the Democratic Party, given, you know, what we saw with the polls the last time around? And and now we see some tightening again. I'm real nervous. You know, I think I expect this election uh, to be to be close. I expect it to tighten as we get to November. Uh, The stakes are so high, though, and the choice is so so clearly different uh, in terms of their vision for the country, how they how they approach the job, their 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 values. Uh, so, but I am nervous. You know, I, it's good to have leads, but you know, the Democrats had a lead in a lot of those states four years ago that they didn't end up getting. Uh, so, I think everybody has to to recognize this is going to be tight. I am excited to see how close it is in Texas. Hmm. Uh, that was not something that we had seen before in the same way, and. I'm excited in, in our home state here to see things more competitive. It's great to, 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 to be able to, to, to be able to see um, uh, campaign commercials uh, mm-hmm. now. That's something that uh, Texans have seen for, for quite a while because the state was never in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that all these races are going to be close. And I think that both parties uh, see that. The Democrats are working really hard. Uh, I think the, the wind is at our back. And, you know, the more and more this president does things like what he's doing right now with the Postal Service, uh, the, 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 the stronger I think our chances are. Mayor, there's only two Texans speaking prime time at the Democratic National Convention. That's a Dallas Congressman Colin Allred and state rep from Dallas, um, Victoria Niave. If Texas truly is a battleground, if the wind really is at the back, especially here in Texas, of Texas Democrats, why wouldn't the DNC shy more of a light on this state? You know, it would have been nice if they gave us a little bit more time. Uh, but, you know, all states wanted to have it. It's, it's a really limited opportunity. You know, there's a night uh, right now, Monday through Thursday. That's what, 16 hours less than the, uh, than, than the, the, the prime time uh, convention that they had in past year. You get a lot of people speaking in 16 hours worth of additional, of additional time. So... So I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think the voices we're going to hear from are the right voices to hear. It shows uh, the diversity that exists, both in terms of people and background and ideas and policy. Uh, so I'm still excited. Uh, Mayor, you know, we've seen this long drought, though, of uh, candidates for president actually winning Texas if they have a D next to their name. Uh, We've seen that there are some who suggest that Democrats don't worry too much about trying to win Texas and instead shore up their support in some other battleground states and make sure that they turn out the states that are usually uh, in favor of Democrats. What would you advise uh, the Biden campaign right now? Should they spend those valuable resources, that valuable time? trying to capture Texas, uh, or should they just let Texas happen as it's going to happen and really go after some of these other critical spots where, where Biden will have well, to win? You're talking to a Texan here. So I've been, I've been lobbying for uh, as, as much spending and, and interest 
uh, and attention as, as Texas can get. You know, if, if Texan, Texas were to, to, to go for, for Biden, which I expect uh, that it will, uh, then the presidential race is virtually over uh, at that point. It only takes in one state. And when you look at Texas, uh, which is not really a, a red state or a blue state, but just a non-voting state, uh, if everybody turns out to, to vote, the Democrats win in Texas. Uh, and, and as I look at the turnout, I look at what we've seen over the last four years, I think anybody that, 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 that can walk or, or put a ballot in the mailbox is going to be voting in this election. And I think you're going to see changes. I think you're going to see the Democrats win the House uh, and in, in the Texas legislature. And I think there are going to be changes that happen in this election. So wait, you said the word expect there. You didn't say hope or wish. You said you expect Democrats to win here in Texas. You expect the Biden campaign to win here in Texas. You really believe that is going to happen this time around, that we'll finally uh, see that losing streak broken? I do. And, and, I, and I think with that, uh, uh, the Democrats will win the, the Texas House. Uh, and if you just look mm. at the, the turnout, it was phenomenal turnout in 2018. Uh, and you saw a lot of races uh, both flip uh, in, in, in Congress, but you also saw incredibly close races. I think people have been waiting to vote in this presidential election in November for four years. Uh, and I think the imperative has gotten stronger each year. You know, we have, we have a, a, a health crisis on top of an economic crisis on top of a moral crisis. Uh, and I think that at some point, people watching what's happening right now, watching that we're having this, we're, we're, we're using the, the post office, uh, postal service as a pawn in a political battle is just unfathomable uh, to me. But that's what happens when you have a postmaster general that has significant investments in things like, you know, competing delivery services. I think that people are looking at that and saying, enough is enough, this just has to stop. And and, and that kind of drive, I think, is going to get a lot of people to turn out. And in Texas, again, if everybody turned out, the Democrats would win. But historically, we've just been a state where people don't vote. Uh, and I think that's what's going to change. Well, let me ask you more about that, Mayor, because not only do Democrats have to turn out, um, but Democrats need like a million more voters to show up at the polls. Where, where do those new voters come from? I think you see those kinds of voters when you watch what happened in 2018. I mean, there were there were pockets of that all around the all around the state, and that was you know an off-term election. Uh, obviously, candidates like uh, uh, Beto uh, inspired a lot of people to come out and, and vote. That changed a lot of the down ballot uh, races that that happened uh, here in in Texas. You know, flipping races that people think were going to change. Uh, I just really think that with a turnout election, you get them, you know, above that, that 10, million, 10 million voter vote, uh, then, then you're going to see different results. Uh, I would like to ask you this. Uh, so in the, in the coming days here, uh, we're going to be hearing a lot about platform. We're going to be hearing you know, speeches about, you know, what the, the Biden uh, ticket will offer uh, for America. Uh, are we also likely to hear a message about uh, getting votes in early? Uh, we, we already have heard from Representative Jim Clyburn uh, there, who has been critical to the Biden uh, candidacy, basically saying that, yeah, we have election day on November 3rd, but we're thinking election month 
for the month of October right now. We're trying to press home that people need to get those ballots in the mail early so that they can be delivered on time and they need to vote early. Are we likely to hear that hammered home a lot in the coming days here? You're going to hear that a lot. Uh, And you're going to hear that not only because it's the way to guarantee that you actually get to vote. Uh, You know, more and more, I think people need to start making their plans right now to to vote early, however they do it, by mail or showing up at early voting. But that's the trend. You know, know, over the last four years, you've seen, you know, each of those elections, you see a greater and greater number of people that are voting uh, early. Uh, it's a way to avoid the lines. It's it's going to be a way to to avoid you know being so close to so many people uh, with this uh, virus going on. I think you're going to hear that theme uh, from from candidates, from parties, um, and in and in Texas now we we just learned that we're going to have a third week of early voting, uh, and I think that's going to be really significant in our state. Yeah, that, no, no question about that. Uh, Mayor, just a couple of minutes left here with you. I want to ask you about the huge news out of Austin last week, and that is the, the unanimous vote by the city council to uh, re- remove a third of the police budget and, you know, hand it over, hand that money over to social services. $150 million, I believe the headline said. Since that vote happened, though, the governor has come out and the governor has said, well, this is something the state legislators might take up when the legislature resumes, uh, reconvenes in January. What do you think the state might do in this situation? You know, I'm not sure what the state's going to do, but I but I urge everybody, including the governor, to actually take a look at what the city of Austin did last week. Uh, I think we did some real transformative work last week, but one thing we did not do was take uh, a third of the police budget out of policing. We didn't take $150 million uh, out of policing. About $20 million uh, that we were using for unfilled police opportunities, unfilled jobs. Uh, uh, That $20 million came from reductions and delay of cadet classes and some overtime, putting it on the street, in the ground, uh, so that our police weren't going to make as many emergency medical calls. Uh, putting it in shelters so that women can get out of abusive places, putting in dollars so that we can take people out of camps that are experiencing homelessness and actually get them into homes. That was $20 million. The other $80 million that we talked about moving, and hopefully we will over the year, doesn't change any functions, but it recognizes that the forensic lab in in Austin uh, really shouldn't be under the police. It should be more independent than that, working with the district attorney and with the and with the county. Uh, you know, it's it's merging our 911 service and our 311 service. We don't have two separate uh, operators. So $80 million without without removing any function. Uh, but it's but it's talking about things like perhaps taking internal affairs and not having uh, having that be independent so that it's not reporting in the same chain of command that it's expected to to investigate. So only $20 million got put to social services. $80 million, the functions are going to remain the same. And that last $50 million were just ideas that people put on the table that we should spend the next year taking a look at. So the first thing I say to the governor of legislature is, is actually look at what we did, go beyond the, the, the headline. Because when people hear exactly what we did, most of the people that I'm that I'm with support it. Uh, I don't know what the legislature would do because I think that having an independent forensics lab is something that people are moving to all around the country. That makes sense. I don't expect the legislature to mess with that. 
uh, integrating 311 and 911 calls saves the taxpayer dollars. Uh, increasing the number of EMS first responders on our streets so that our police don't have to be making medical calls. Increasing the number of mental health first responders so that police are not our our, our social workers. That's not their. That's not what they should be doing. They should be focusing on crime. Uh, everything we did, I think, was designed to keep the city safer, and we just need people to see what we actually did. Well, yeah, th- thanks for the uh, explanation on that. I know more will probably be coming out as you guys uh, meet more on this, but too often, like you said, we're so used to reading headlines or the tweets, the 140 characters, and we make our uh, minds up on that and move on down the road. Uh, Mayor Adler, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. All right, dude, you know, pat out. Yeah. Let's see. He finished out. um, I know he talked about. uh, Oh, yeah. Well, he finished with the stuff about Austin, about how they've made the changes there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You want to pick Uh up that? You have a great memory, dude. Go ahead. So, yeah, uh, we uh, threw everything but the kitchen sink at him there, uh, talking to him about the convention and about some current things going on in Austin. You know, it's interesting that you brought that whole uh, funding situation up, though, uh, that they've done with the Austin Police Department there, Jason, because, you know, it highlights that this is one of the big issues that's being talked about a lot across the country for the national election right now. Uh, And it will be interesting to see how Democrats at their convention this week are able to pull sort of all of these pieces of their party together. We have, you know, the establishment end of it, the more progressive side of it. We saw how that played out the last time around with Hillary Clinton. There were some open debates going on there at the convention. It seems like going in that Joe Biden has helped to unify the party a little bit more, but let's see if that actually holds here uh, in the days ahead. And interestingly, you see a lot of Republicans signed up to speak at the Democratic convention, uh, chief among them, uh, uh, John Kasich, the uh, former uh, governor of uh, Ohio there. Uh, So that's kind of an interesting component to me, too, that they've got several high-profile Republicans speaking at the Democratic convention. Does that make a difference? Who knows? It's huge, and it just shows, I think, a split in the the GOP that has been there for a long time, the traditional uh, business Republicans, the business conservatives. Um, You know, where do they fit into... Uh, President Trump's GOP. And, and I think that's, you know, shows a, a pretty big division here with uh, Governor Kasich speaking on Monday night. But at the end of the day, 262 delegates coming out of Texas. Wednesday night's the big night. It's the night that Senator Kamala Harris will uh, formally accept the nomination for vice president. Thursday night is the big night with Joe Biden uh, when he accepts the nomination and becomes the nominee rather than the presumptive nominee. Next week is the big week for Republicans, but at the end of the day, I'm fascinated to see whether either of these two virtual conventions can really motivate and energize the base. The Democrats probably needed a little more than Republicans, I would say, just uh, you know, based on who's in office right now, but the polling... Uh, clearly shows that momentum is with the Democrats. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see you know, who it is that they're trying to motivate right now. Uh, I, it seems like there are a good number of people who wish that they could just cast their ballots today and let's count them and be done. Uh, so they're reaching out to those people who aren't to that point just yet. And I think there are a sizable number of people out there who are still 
you know, weighing this thing out. So maybe these next two weeks uh, get the job done for them. And then, uh, boy, we're really off to the races then. And it's almost time to vote because we've got that extended uh, early voting window here in Texas. It's going to be here before you know it, oh, Jason. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's this week. Next week, we uh, tackle the GOP convention when we should have been in North Carolina. So uh, instead, we'll we, be we here again. Cancel- yeah, we had to cancel the Airbnb and never bought <laughs> flights yet because we didn't know what was happening. But uh, we got our money back on that. I'm sure, you know, we're not the only ones for that. But we'll see you again here next week on Yolitics.